Well, uh, for those of you who are new here this morning to Lakeview, this is your first time. Uh, I will let you in on a little insider secret that uh, on any given Sunday, there is typically about a 50-50 chance that some kind of 80s song is going to show up in the course of uh, the morning's message. And um, about 15 people here appreciate that. And the rest put up with it. And uh, I'm thankful for the grace. And Easter is no exception. So this morning, the song is uh, One Thing Leads to Another. I think it was by a group called The Fix. Back in the 80s, I believe they were a one-hit wonder. Um, but uh, it kind of sums up the, the point of the passage we're looking at uh, this morning. One thing leads to another is another way of like um, laying out some of these if-then realities. Um, there's some if-thens about Easter about, that we're going to look at this morning, or what does one thing lead to? And, um, and so the question, the issue is, if the message that Easter announces is true, then there are certain implications that go with, along with that that are also true. And then on the flip side, if the message of Easter is false, then there's a whole separate set of logical conclusions that follow along with that as well. Um, so the idea is that uh, elections aren't the only things that have consequences. Um, the realities that we build up in our lives do as well. And, and these if-then statements, these things that one leads to the next, it helps to surface in our lives some of the inconsistencies um, that we often live with, sometimes without even being aware of it. And, and so it challenges us to, to kind of cultivate our lives and live them out in ways that are coherent and consistent, uh, because the thing is that ideas are, are never isolated. Um, they're kind of like a train. There's like a long line of train cars, and each one is connected to the next. One follows after the other, and there's always something that's out in front, the, 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 the locomotive engine that's driving the whole thing forward. And so in this case, um, it's the message of Easter. That's the locomotive engine. And so we're looking at that. And, and, and so that's the if part that's under examination. And so to start out, we're just going to take a minute and kind of unpack that message so we can understand what it is and see what's at stake. And so uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the first verse kind of um, describes it and, and makes it pretty plain and simple. It says this, if Christ is, raised, is proclaimed as raised from the dead, and I'll, I'll just stop there, and that, that basically pretty much sums it up. That's, that's the Easter claim. The claim is that Jesus Christ has been raised from dead to alive. And of course, it goes without saying to say that that's a pretty outrageous claim, uh, you know, especially for us because we understand, uh, we're well acquainted with this reality that when people die, the trend is, it's been long established that they stay dead, right? And, and, so, and so is it that Jesus was literally raised from the dead, like for real, or, or was that claim, was it meant to be taken figuratively? So, so you might say, what, do you really mean that Jesus came to life spiritually, right? You know, like, like he's with us in our hearts, and is, isn't that what Easter is all about? And, you know, it's a valid question, 
And the answer to that question is actually pretty easy to answer because when you just backtrack about two paragraphs in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is writing and he leaves little doubt that what he's talking about is absolutely intended to be taken uh, literally. And so he says this in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, that's the apostles, and then to more than 500 brothers at one time, most, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So if you read that, at least to me, it seems like that's, that's a pretty literal statement. That's, that's a literal statement of actual events. Um, Jesus' resurrection, it's presented as a core part of the gospel message. It's described as something of primary importance. In other words, if you get nothing else about God, get this. Uh, know and respond to who Jesus is, why he came, and what he's done. That really matters. And so he says, eyewitnesses verified that Jesus was alive. And not just a couple, there's over 500. Many, he says, were still around at the time, so you can check in with them. And they could attest to this unprecedented moment when Jesus Christ did something that no one else throughout the course of human history has ever done before. That after dying on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sin, and after his lifeless body lay in a tomb for three days, Jesus Christ physically resurrected back to life. His heart started beating, his chest muscles expanded, his lungs filled with oxygen, his eyelids opened, his senses awakened, and he got up and he walked out of the grave. And he never has and he never will go back there again. That's the claim. That's the message of Easter. That's the locomotive. And, and the passage also makes the point that as outrageous as that might seem to us, that the whole thing actually went down according to Scripture. Did you catch that? The phrase was there twice, according to Scripture. The, the idea is that Easter, it was an intentional, it was an anticipated part of God's plan. God at Easter was making good on a promise he made all the way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden on the far side of the fall when, when our first parents bought the lie and they ate the fruit and they turned from God and they went to do their own thing and go their own way. That was the moment when everything good went bad. Everything God made good went bad and from that point forward, Death has just been this unavoidable reality in our lives, in our world. Despite our best attempts, no one has been able to figure out a workaround for death. But right then, on the other side of the fall, in the garden, God right there promised that he was going to turn it around. He was going to make it all right again through the seed of the woman. It was the promise that he promised he was going to send a Messiah who would come and rescue and redeem, that in and through this Savior, he would pick up the pieces of, of broken people and this broken planet and put the whole thing back together again. And, and that redeeming work, it would ultimately, it would inevitably lead to this head-on collision, this contest between life and death, 
when life would overcome and conquer death. So that's, that's basically the overall story of Scripture. It's God's plan of redemption. It's unfolded over the centuries. It's continuing to unfold. And Easter was that milestone moment when death was undone. When Jesus rose, death was defeated. God kept his promise. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And that victory continues to work its way out today, right now. So, so on the one hand, you can look at Easter and you can wonder, like, how could something like that actually ever have happened? But if you read your Bible, if you know the story of Scripture written over thousands of years, you actually wonder the opposite. How could Easter not have happened? The empty grave is it's inevitable. Life conquering death is the unavoidable outworking of God's master plan to make all things new. And that work, that renewing work, it's going on right now. It's taking place in the lives of people on an individual level, and it starts with a faith response to that gospel message that was just articulated. Faith that, that believes that what Jesus did, he did for me personally. That's, that's a faith response. And with that response, God turns something on that hadn't been turned on before in our lives. He makes us alive to him in a new way. He connects your life to the locomotive engine of Christ, and he reconnects that relationship that with our creator that, that sin had severed, and, and he opens up the door of the heart so the Holy Spirit can come in and he can move in, and, and he starts doing a new work inside us that works its way to the outside of us, and it continues over the course of a lifetime. And so I'll just stop and say this. If you haven't responded in faith to the gospel and God's renewing work hasn't started in your heart yet, let, let today be that day. And, and just call out to the Lord, God, I know I am a broken sinner. I believe that, that what Jesus did, he did for me. He died for me. And come and start something new inside of my life. So, so that's, that's Easter. It's the claim that Jesus has risen to life everlasting, victorious over death. So that's the if part of the if-then thing. And what that means is that either that's true or it's not. It's either fact or fiction, and, and that's the then part. And the passage goes on to play that out in both directions. So let's, let's look at what it says first, and it says, it says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain and we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For the dead, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Okay, so this is option number one. Option number one is that the resurrection isn't real, that for whatever reason, Easter just simply didn't happen and Jesus' dead body is still lying in a grave somewhere in the Middle East. 
And so he plays out the implications. What does that lead to? What does it mean if the locomotive of your life is hitched onto a dead savior? And what he says is that if, if the grave was the end for Jesus, then there's just simply no reason to believe that it won't be the end for you and for us as well. Because if Jesus didn't rise, then death hasn't been defeated. And if death hasn't been defeated, then the unavoidable conclusion is that death is just still in charge. It reigns supreme. And so cradle to the grave, it's it. It's all you get. And that might sound a little harsh, but there's really no objective reason to expect anything else that once your lifeless body gets lowered six feet underground, that's it, game over. Because here's the question, what can you point to outside of yourself as any kind of reference point to reach any other conclusion? You you can honor the person, you can keep their memory alive, you can hold them dear in your heart and all that, but all that's really nothing more than just coping, coping mechanisms to deny the reality that it's over. It doesn't stop there. It goes on and says, if Jesus didn't rise, the Christian faith in its entirety collapses to the ground. That's how much hinges on the resurrection. The entire thing falls to the ground and there is absolutely nothing left to salvage. So we can talk about faith. We can talk to believe about believing. We can talk about eternity and all that. But if Jesus is still in the grave, it's empty. It's meaningless. And it's an absolute waste of time because it means the gospel is just a fairy tale. And all this talk about grace and love and forgiveness, it's just a lie. So this is This is playing it out. This is one thing leads to another. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, my faith, Paul says here, it's futile. We we are all still stuck in our sins. and, And those we love who have died in Christ, they're just gone for good forever. One more thing, it also, it kind of calls out the, the conventional approach to religious claims today. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. And and that is the approach in our world today, right? You've heard that line. Um, It doesn't matter what God you believe in, as long as you believe in God. That's what matters, right? You have to have something set up in your life to help you get through. Whatever works for you, nothing more than that. But one thing leads to another. Play that one out. When you think it through, it doesn't work. Because apart from some kind of objective reference point, outside of yourself, what you'll never find is any kind of substantive reason why life is even worth getting through. If the headstone, a tombstone, is all we have to look forward to, there's really no reason And spirituality, it's just a smokescreen that denies the reality that there's no purpose in life, that the reality of this is just despair. And so if you dare, play it out. 
Apart from Easter, one thing leads to another, and all roads ultimately dead end in despair. And here's the question I wonder is, is it actually to live out life that way? I mean, in a logically coherent way with the expectation that the grave is the end and the realization that nothing actually matters. Because then what objective reason could you look to to say injustice needs to be fought, right? Or, or compassion is a good thing, or we should help the hurting, or, or even to mourn the loss of a loved one. See, the problem, of course, is most people do care, right? We are moved at these things, but the question is why? Is it because of what they believed or is it despite it? And, and I'll, I'll leave that one with you to wrestle through, but I'll also say this, that if it hasn't happened yet, please know that the time in life will come when you will find yourself wading through some deep waters, and if the only thing that you have at that time to hold on to is just whatever construct of reality you've created for yourself, I will tell you that you will find yourself in over your head really quick. So that's option number one. Um, let's move on to option t- number two, which is what if the resurrection is for real? Or to align around the point of view of this passage, it's more of this because Easter did happen, and since Christ has been raised, and he is alive, what are the implications? When the locomotive of your life is hitched to is the living Lord who conquered death, what does that lead to? Let's, let's keep reading and see. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, And as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at the coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So again, one thing leads to another. If Jesus did physically rise from the grave on Easter morning, and your life is wrapped up in his, then you have every reason in the world to expect and believe that what happened to him will also happen to you. If the grave was not the end for him, It won't be the end for those who are in him either. See, his resurrection becomes our objective reference point. See, Easter morning wasn't a one-off, right? Jesus' victory over death was not to be a never-repeated event. It's actually like a preview of what's coming soon to a theater near you. Now, they didn't have theaters right back in the first century. They had farms and, and they would plant their crops and the crops would bear what was called the first fruits and, and they, they would come in advance of, of, of the harvest that came later on in the season. And so first fruits to them would be what like a, a preview showing is to us. The point of both is that Jesus' resurrection, that was the first, not the last. Easter was a taste of what is to come. 
the main event, the bumper crop, the resurrection, our resurrection is coming. And so that's why Paul here, did you notice he talks about death of those who have fallen asleep in Christ. It's a kind of a strange way to talk about death. I don't hear people talking about people who have died as having fallen asleep. It's not to imply that the dead in Christ are, are literally sleeping uh, because it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What it's saying is that, that from a physical and a bodily perspective, there's this temporary disconnection. Body and spirit are temporarily disconnected, kind of like those three days when, when Jesus lie in the grave. But know this, that that disconnection is temporary, not eternal. Those who have died in Christ are not gone for good. And understand that eternity is not lived in some kind of disembodied spiritual state, like we're not ghosts or angels just floating around on clouds. Your destiny is physical. And Easter is the assurance of that. When, e when Jesus returns, what happened to him will happen to those who are in him. Our hearts will start beating. Our chests, our muscles will expand and lungs breathe in oxygen and eyelids open and senses awaken and we'll rise to life eternal. We'll exit the grave and never go back to it again either. That's destiny. That is the destiny of those who are in Christ. And Easter morning, the empty grave is the stake in the ground that God drove in, in history, to assure us of it. And I will tell you, it is an anchor for the soul. It ignites hope in life that's constant. It lasts even through the hard times. It endures even through the losses, even through the pain and the grief. There is this unshakable hope that is only there because Jesus' grave is empty. Now, some of you know that our, our extended family, we've walked through some tragic loss over the past two years. And uh, it, has been, it has been devastating. It has been so hard. Um, but I'll tell you that this means everything. Jesus' empty grave means everything. And it's not a coping mechanism. It's the reality that life is precious, that people are made in the image of God. And there is a reason why our hearts and souls revolt against the idea that a loved one is gone forever, that the grave is the end. It's because we know deep inside us that that's not true. He's making all things new. He's putting all the pieces back together. And what he started, he's going to see it through right to the end. And it's good. One thing leads to another. When Winston Churchill heard the news that the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor, he understood that that would lead to the U.S. entering World War II. And he wrote something in his diary about what he knew that meant and what the ultimate outcome would be. Here's what he wrote. So we had won the war after all. We had won. No doubt it would take a long time. Many disasters, immeasurable cost, and tribulation lay ahead. But there was no more doubt about the end. 
Being saturated and satisfied with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the peaceful. That's, that's the point of Easter. One thing leads to another, and I want to ask you, what are things leading to in your life? We've been presented with, with two options, and the reality is one is right and one is wrong. Either Easter happened or it didn't. And I don't pretend to be able to convince anyone of that um, in a 30-minute message. But what I do want to ask you, what I want to challenge us to is, is not which option do you like, but which one fits? Which one explains life and your experiences and aligns around what you know to be true and, and what you encounter? And how's your story going to play out? What is it going to take to make the, right, the wrongs in your life right again? How's it going to happen and who's going to do it? Here's how I've seen things play out. Without Easter, we have nothing. But because of Easter, we have everything. The empty grave means hope, purpose, redemption, and reunion. And an occupied grave means meaninglessness, purposelessness, and despair. And so however, however things are working out in your life, I want to tell you, let, let them work out in a way that leads you to him, to Jesus, to the one who conquered death, to the one who can give hope, to the one who is making all things new. And let him do with your life what only he can do. Let's pray together. Lord.